2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast.
1: Well, there, has got the better of it, and he looks to get the better of Michael. We finally have the evidence. There is now proof of a vast conspiracy. Proof that money changes hands. Proof that the game is bent. Proof that there is match fixing. And I think at the end of this Chelsea game, we can come away with no conclusion other than... Alvaro Morata through the game for Chelsea. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right, it's not the referees. It was never the referees. It was always Alvaro Morata, the man of the 1.77XG in this match alone, but came away with zero RG, or real goals, sometimes referred to as AG, or actual goals. Uh, and the men here to break that down, break down the refereeing decision, break down the uh, birth of Ainsley, Maitland, Niles, Barcelona DNA, uh, all of the great things that happened in the match, uh, is the full boat? Tim, Paul, Clive, Scott, they're all here. Let's start with Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello. Hello, Paul. You were on Twitter at Positive My Pants. How are you doing? Woohoo. Good. Clive's on Twitter at ClivePafC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Scott will be along shortly, as I mentioned. So uh, let's dive right in. Tim, I guess that where I want to start with this is really at the result. And, you know, I found myself not sure how to feel. I wanted the win. Mm. We avoided the loss. The the last couple minutes of the game were mental. It could have gone either direction. Uh, You have Arsene Mm. Wenger making jokes about suicide. I mean, you had the whole thing going on here. (laughs) So at the end of the match for you, um, did you feel uh, fortunate to come away with the draw, unfortunate not to win? How did this result strike you?
3: Um, Probably none none and all of those things at exactly the same time. Uh, Maybe a little bit like the Liverpool game, but... You know, when you score a last-minute equaliser, there's there's a bit more kind of relief in there, and I've, I felt like we deserved that equaliser. Um, and you know, I, I heard quite a lot of people saying before the game that this was a must-win game for Arsenal. I didn't, I don't think we're quite there yet, but I, I did feel it was must not lose, and not just because of the points, but you know, momentum, confidence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, I was okay with the draw. Um, overall, I think it was just about a fair result as well. I think both teams, um, you know, could have scored a few goals more, um, and both teams probably had the, the both teams probably came close the same amount of times. But on balance, the quality of Chelsea's chances was probably slightly better, uh, particularly Murata, who had he been on any sort of form, um, would have had a hat trick um, at least on any other day. So. there was just this kind of exhalation of breath at full time, this kind of, and I I, I think that that kind of sums it up. That's what everyone thought. Um, On the other hand, you know, at nil-nil, it it really felt like, you know, there's definitely going to be a goal in this game and it could go to either team. And you really had this feeling that the team that got the first goal would be, you know, would be the one that would probably go on to win the game. So when Jack got it, I you know, I I thought, yeah, here we go. Um, You know, we can win this now. And then, you know, Chelsea get the equaliser fairly quickly, and I think it knocked the stuffing out of us a bit. Particularly again because it was another contentious penalty, and there's been so much talk o- about that for the last few days, and that, it, that swung the momentum of the game a little bit. But it was just it, it was quite deflating, and um, I'm not sure there was a sense of injustice so much from the Arsenal players, but the kind of oh, not again. Um, kind of thing. So, and on balance, I think a draw was just about fair. If you were to really have to pick a winner, I suspect that Chelsea, you know, won this on XG as it were. So, um, you know, we can pr- and, and given that we were two one down in injury time, you can probably feel quite grateful for the draw.
1: Yeah, and and you know the the penalty in this is a little different because against West Brom, not only was it clearly a wrong call, it was a wrong call mm. in a game where I I didn't feel that West Brom could hurt us, and I I felt that we should have won that match. Uh, whereas, mm. you know, in in this game, Chelsea always looked like they could hurt us. Um, mm. You know, and it wasn't a clearly wrong call. Now, I find it's funny because mm. you're a serial defender of referees on Twitter, <laughs> um, but you actually thought this was a wrong call. You you do not
3: believe. It was yeah, crazy. yeah. Yeah no no I don't um, and you know when I kind of defend referees on Twitter that's not to say they don't make mistakes it's, it's more the furore that surrounds it and kind of I think quite hysterical um, it's, it's all gotten now but no I didn't think it was a penalty I didn't think so at the time and the replay I, I saw subsequently it is exactly how I read it at the time it was the softest even if there is a touch it's so soft. And um, I, there are just some things I can't work out with uh, the way games are officiated, and one of them is how you know that minimal amount of contact. You know, if the, if there had been like a bug on Eden Hazard's foot, it would it would have been completely intact from that um, assault from Bellerin, shall we say? And yet, when every if that's a penalty, look at every single corner that has ever been given. In top flight football, because it is they weird, are right? That you penalties. can almost pull someone's shirt off, <laughs> yeah.
1: and it's not a penalty. But if your two <laughs> shoes occupy, you know, one millimeter of the yeah. same space, it's it's a penalty. It's yeah, bizarre. if your shoe
3: like, yeah, your shoelace like brushes someone's calf, that's oh, that that's contact, and always oh, entitled to go down. I'm always made a meal of it, but and and I I tend to think like players have got so much smarter uh, with simulation nowadays and do it so much more regularly and by the way i, I think what wilshere did in the second half qualifies as that as well that's you know quote unquote clever simulation and it's the kind of thing we've liberalized our attitudes to it just because it happened so often so um when well uh, you know, and because when,
1: he's our brave boy
3: and well i know but you know he <laughs> manufactures contact you know hazard feels a shoelace on his calf and goes down and 15, 20 years ago, that that would have been absolutely unanimous. Everyone would have called that a dive. But now, because that happens so much, you know, I I think our attitudes have have softened to it. And that's one of the things that's disappointed me about the retrospective punishment with diving. I think there's far too much whataboutery. I really think that the authorities should just take a harder line on it and just not, you know, not do this, oh, mm, well, I'm not really sure if it was a dive. Bollocks. Referees have to make Those sorts of judgments, they have to make judgments about intent all the time, all the time. So there is no reason why you cannot retrospectively make those kind of judgments on intent. There is no reason to shy away from the fact that someone has clearly either manufactured contact or dived. And I'm really disappointed with the way that's been enforced. And if anything... I think it's going to make, um, you know, if you consider diving a problem, I think it's going to make it worse, if anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, there's too much awesome stuff and terrible stuff and interesting stuff to get into in this match to do another 20 minutes on the referees. And I know we could. And Mm. I think it was El Spanish or I'm sorry for getting his Twitter handle wrong. Has done a comprehensive thread on uh, the... Wrongs that have been uh, heaped on Arsenal by referees this season, uh, literally every wrong call made against us, and I think deduced that we should be 12 points better off. So, I mean, in some ways, we're basically still competing for the title. So that's good news. Um, also, uh, the reason Tim defends referees is not because of what he said, it's quite clearly because he's part of the uh, deep state dark web conspiracy <laughs> against Arsenal. Uh, but we can come on to that in another podcast. So, Clive, you know, going back to the beginning now, young back line, Uh, Holding Ann Chambers, not to mention Maitland-Niles and Bellerin. I'm Bellerin very experienced but still very young with Mustafi holding it all together. Um, And then two very slow center midfielders in Jack and Shaka sitting in front of them. Um, Was that really a concern for you before kickoff and did it become an increasing concern as the first half wore on?
2: Uh, yep, you know what I'm like about my <laughs> physicality and speed um and even and what you don't see when you're sort of at the ground as a camera pan to sort of holding and chambers that they looked a little bit nervous, more so holding actually, and i was I was thinking, I wonder what's gonna be like and the issue I have with with these with all three of them actually, you put motorsack in there as well. We've got four center backs that are really quite slow and um and it, and it and it changes how they play. it changes how they where they want to be and they like to feel contact they like to have jobs they look to go and mark people and none of them instinctively want to cover space mustafi has is learning to do it and he does it quite well but every now and again when he gets tired when he gets, loses concentration he just goes and smashes somebody and they chase the ball they get attracted and none of them think about the spacing behind and so, you know, if you think back to the good old days when we had, you know, Vengo obviously, just structured didn't set up very well and set him in centre midfield. But in the old days, we had Campbell and, and Torre, and they could win every race they wanted to win. And so, in some ways, Vengo still plays football without a safety net. But he, he he brought in even more risk and more doubt by having slow defenders, right? And and yet he still has them high up the pitch. And so the whole thing it's just scary. I mean, how did you feel watching it? Did you feel t- terrified.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it felt like every time they kicked the ball long, there was a chance Murata was going to be in. And you know, I mean, it, it's it's really worrying that you know. Look, I, there are a lot of people, Clive, that that their defense of our defenders is it's the system, it's Arsene Wenger, it can make any center back look bad. But some of these guys don't know where to stand, and I realize the system puts them on an island and puts them at risk. Yeah. But you should still know. I mean, there is basic positional defending that's being that's being done wrong here isn't there it comes back to fear
2: it comes back to knowing what you have so if I take holding for example he's worked out that you know what I'm not very quick I've got to the way he runs his feet are a little bit wide he, he runs like flat-footed but I'll tell you what I'm going to be I'm going to be very aggressive on the front foot I'm going to smash everything I'm going to be really proactive I'm going to make sure that people don't come down my side when they do they're going to get hurt right that's what that's what he's taking on this year and then you've got Mustafi who's a little bit more experience, obviously the World Cup winners in his back pocket. He is a little bit more holistic in his play. Every now and again, as I say, he gets attracted. Then you've got Chambers. And I think the worst things that's ever happened to Chambers has been John Stones. Because he now thinks he's cool and relaxed. And he needs to he needs to work out what he is. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to be sharper in all his movements. Because from the moment that game started, he looked like the weak link. And Hazard just said, I'll have some of you, son. You're looking a little bit worried. And, and it took him 40 minutes to get a first challenge in. And by then, the whole stadium, um, I know my house, was completely scared beyond their own wits. So
4: it, comes it was back like to him, Silence of the Lambs, wasn't it, Clive? With, yeah, you uh, can see Hanover. it
2: coming. I mean, yeah, Heather, all, I, always, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I always say your eyes never lie. You never lie. How did you feel?
1: Well, let me Don't ask you a question sure. then. For, for that first... Chance where Murata gets completely cleaned through, and and just mishits it wide. Is that yeah. Mustafi's fault for where he tries to set the line too high up, or is it Chambers' fault for not holding the line and and being a step behind it? I mean, it, so Chambers got killed for that, but it looked like Mustafi was also playing in the opposition half, and you can't play yeah. the offside trap in the opposition half. <laughs>
2: So basically, uh, Holding and Mustafi get both get attracted to the ball. Chambers is is wider to the right. The run goes diagonal across his face, and basically they run into a space behind. It comes back to Jobs sending Mustafi should be deploying these guys like put pit balls, saying you go, you go, and then anything you miss, I'll clean up. But Mustafi says sometimes, well, I fancy going, and then he just goes, and the other two have to react to him, and they may not be as experienced as a Cassani to do that or a Monreal to do that. Who they can they they can obviously sense Dane's are more sharply, and they're sharper in their movement. And so he left these two young guys. I didn't feel a communication connection between the three of them, and it, 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 it was like it was just like watching. Uh, I call it Murta Sakabinga, bingo I've used that phrase before but basically on the halfway line with three slow defenders loads of green space behind and Hazard and Morata saying stick it in here um, Chelsea got a guy called Seth Fabregas who can drop the ball on the sixpence I mean it's recipe for a disaster really but we, we just about got away there but at what cost because I think a lot of Arsenal fans have, well I know I have I've lost a bit of confidence in in chambers, for example. Oh boy, it was, a rough, it it was a rough day for
1: him. <laughs> a rough day for him. Do you guys remember? Rough. You have better memories for this stuff than me. But there was—I think it was a Liverpool game. Was it two seasons ago where he started yeah, yeah. and he gave, he could not give the ball to an Arsenal player, and then he recovered yeah. in the second half. Remember that he he started yeah. to kind of get his wits about him. But this—the first half of this game reminded me the first half of that game. He is a player who he gets the shits. I mean, he 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 gets terrified, and it shows in his performance.
2: I think he struggles on duels. I mean, literally man strength. He hasn't got that strength in one-on-ones. Me, me and neither, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when Mane, Mane just put him in his pocket? I mean, it's very yeah. difficult to play Marnay in your first game. He just ran him to death. Ran him around the outside, come back inside, stuck it in our net. I mean, this is an issue for him. I mean, lots of people, lots of people want to give him time. But I do, I've said it before, I feel the three of them are very similar in profile. I see Holden trying to define himself into a, a Gary Cahill. The staff is defined. I think Chambers got to define himself. And I think, you know, if I'm the major squad building, I would lose one of them to add a, a faster, taller, more dominant center back into, into our group.
1: Yeah, It's funny. You look at how Chelsea did it. They had Cesc Fabregas, who, you know, was kind of tasked with destroying us with killer balls, but he can't run. So they put two athletes alongside him. In Bakayoko and Conte, yep. and said, "Don't worry, Sess. These guys will run all over the pitch. You just play yep. the killer ball. You you pick out the runs. Um, we had two slow-footed central midfielders who, you know, to be fair to them, also were playing, you know, their whatever it is, fifth game in 12 days, or you know, pick a number, whatever it is at this point. So, Paul, you know, I think it was interesting. We did make a little tactical, nuanced tactical change, and you know, for a manager who doesn't do tactics, Arson is doing a lot of tactics lately." And the one thing I'll give him credit for is I, I think it was very clever and I think it worked reasonably well in the first half, which is we seem to be playing a, a 3-5-2. Um, Ozil was playing deeper in midfield and Alexis and Lacazette were playing more like a 2 in attack. Did you see it that way and, and what do you think of it? Um, I
4: didn't quite see it like that. In fact, I would have said, uh, I mean, I know what you mean. Uh,
3: but Did, Ozil so let, was me, let me largely, stop you real quick before, yeah. before you, you do. Yeah.
1: Did anyone else see it that way? Or or am I making that up? A,
3: a, no, I a saw point. it that way a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I still think Sanchez was to the left a bit, but yeah, basically.
1: Okay. Yeah. okay, all right. So, well, Paul, how did how did you see that that midfield setting up? I mean, what, what was the was Ozil's role deeper for you, or not really?
4: Uh, it was deeper when he wanted to pick up the ball, uh, and, and he did nip in and make a tackle here and there. But he basically was. Purely looking for that extra space. It was, I, to me, we were playing a two uh, and Ro- Ozil just going where the space was and that was very often in midfield, but not as a conscious effort that they were a three-man okay. interchangeable three. Whereas I thought Chelsea were much more an interchangeable <coughs> three where they started as a three in the middle and then Cesc would drift off to the left and find a pocket there and you'd very often find Jack... Running off to cover him and that kind of uh, uh, to me it was kind of a two and a half versus a two. Sesc um, was somewhere between the two roles, but it did give them uh, more coverage in the midfield, and I think that maybe made Jack and Chaka look a bit more stretched than is fair, than because they just had that was how Chelsea set up. That was the gamble. They played the three in midfield, but that basically kind of left Ozil in a lot of space and he used it. And so in the end, we, they kind of ran the game a little bit more, but we were more to me, our chances were higher, higher quality in the buildup, not necessarily better chances when it came to the well, show. Yeah, when all
1: you have to do is kick one ball over the top of us. and yeah. You've got a guy running in alone. That's pretty easy. <laughs>
4: yeah. Or, or our guy is basically passing it to you. You know, we were as profligate creating cock ups as they were in missing them, so I, I, so I think it's a subtle distinction, but I definitely think they were more of a three than we were in the midfield, and it did look, make our our two look a bit stretch. I I might quibble a bit on Jack being slow-footed. He is not the quickest midfielder on the planet.
1: Well, but what did you think of his first half? Because I I look. I thought Jack actually grew into the game, surprisingly, but the first yeah. half for me, I was kind of shaking my head and saying maybe this is a game too far for him. He he had some really bad moments in the first half, and he looked like he was lacking the range to to get to the spots on the pitch he needed to be.
4: Yeah, but I, so I think to, I think there's some truth to that. I think he was also the two of them were kind of stretched by the three. They hadn't really worked out who was doing what, and Jack was really trying to close down Sesk and it was pulling him out of position. I mean, Sesk is not just a genius with the ball at his foot; he's ever so clever in in pulling a midfield around and pulling midfielders before uh, towards him, and if you don't get to him. He'll put through key balls. In fact, I think he put six key balls. Amazing. He, he's he's also
1: yeah. one for – he gives a great cuddle mid-match. I don't know if you spotted that, but a really yeah. nice – just a good hugger. You know, it's important yeah. to be yeah, – yeah. you want to be a yeah, full-body yeah. guy that really get in there, yeah. not not the bro hug where you get the handshake and the one arm. He he does – he went for the two arms. I like that.
4: Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I'd say on our midfielders, I, I thought they actually did pretty well considering in this game, and they did grow into it. I think Chaka took a huge amount of abuse – for this game uh compared to jack um and there could be a nationality issue there not from scott Um,
1: not from scott that's
4: coming up good 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 glad to hear that uh I'm not saying he was brilliant. I thought it was quietly pretty good. I he think had that t-
1: terrible pass in stoppage time at the end of the game where he overhit yeah. it to Welbeck on the counter, and it was infuriating because it was at a moment where it felt like the match could go either way, and we were we were pushing for the winner, they were pushing for the winner, and the game kind of ended on your last memory being Shaka giving it away on a pretty easy counterattack pass, and I think that not not to dismiss the fact that you know people may have intelligent thoughts about his performance, but. You know, that lasting memory is a, is one that definitely, I think, colors opinions.
4: Yeah, and they're up against... Uh, I mean, they kept finding Ozil, which maybe wasn't too hard given the space he was finding. And the build-up through Ozil to Sanchez, I mean, it was just clicking all game. And I think Jack and Chaka found that quickly and effectively. And on the other side, they weren't helped by being against what I would call a two-and-a-half in the midfield. And, you know, having the aristocrats behind them defending were like Chambers is fisting the grandmother, the granny's fisting the cat. It was like, you know, what are you going to do? But check uh, Bellerin, Maitland-Niles. And I think Holding, uh, I didn't see Holding do much wrong in all of that confusion. I think Mustafi was mostly good, but occasionally calamitous. And Chambers was just a hot mess. I don't know who he kept signaling to. Right from the get-go, he was waving, he was signaling. I mean, if... Marks for communication, but I've no idea what the hell he was up to, especially on that first chance with the ball over the top to Morata. Who to the coin fuck a, is he
3: waving at? To coin a phrase, Paul, he's not waving, he's drowning.
4: He's drowning, yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck was he waving at? Everybody he should be talking to was right beside him. He's waving upfield. I think he was waving, I'm fucked. I'm fucked.
1: I'm fucked. Um, yeah, well, and, you know. Jack was great, though. Yeah, C- check check might have been man not of the match. as ma- good as courtois, low key man of the match. Court. I mean, the funny thing about check is, I, I w- honestly, I'd love to put an outfield player in goal for penalties. I don't see how it could go. In- I mean, I'm not even kidding. Like, why not? Are you allowed to do that? Like, can, can you no. say set- you can't, right? Because you have to have like no. an actual right. Yeah, okay. No, he, um, yeah, yeah. well, he can't he handle can it, he, just can't, he yeah. just can't use his arms, right? That's a good but point. Still be better off. To be fair. Uh, an outfield player not using his arms can't do worse than check who has dived the yeah. wrong way for 13 <laughs> Man, of the last penalties he's faced. I mean, it, it, and it's unfair. He's going to come in so much criticism for that in a game where I thought he was actually quite brilliant. Tim, um, I, I do, I, I want to stick with midfield for a minute because I think it's such an important area. I can't get past the fact that Shaka and Jack is not a pairing. It's not. And individually, mm. they, they both have qualities and individually both did some good things in this game. I thought they really struggled for running in the first half. Um, there was a, a moment where Jack had a bad touch. The ball got away from him a little bit. Then he got overrun behind him by hazard. He, he, he got into a bad position. I, you can make an argument to me to just sell Shaka, keep Jack, sign him, and bring in an athletic midfielder. Maybe it's Maitland Niles. Or, or not re-sign Jack and put an athlete next mm. to Shaka. But these two together, is it just too easy for them to get overrun, especially with the vulnerability we have defensively?
3: I think so, yeah, because what a good midfield partnership does is like, like really really good ones um the two the pair accentuate one another's strengths um but even the basically good ones just mask one another's weaknesses, and uh unfortunately, Xhaka and Wilshire have some of the same weaknesses i e covering ground, just that little half yard c- Using their legs to the traverse
1: board. the earth, yeah, that.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, like Jack. Jackal. Jackal chase. He's he's game, um, but you know he's not. He's not a defender. He never has been. He's never been a defensive player, so he doesn't quite have the instinct, and the the legs aren't what they quite were anymore. But at the same time, I feel like it's kind of churlish to criticise him for that because that's never been his game, and um, you know what. What yeah, you're quite right. What you should really be doing is either backing Jack and putting players around him that you know mask those 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 weaknesses, or doing the same as Jacker. And, and at the moment they're just they're not that similar, but they just they just have slightly similar flaws. Um, I think you know Jack is one thing that really has improved since Jack came back came into the team is you know Arsenal were conceding loads of goals just by giving the ball away stupidly in their own half. And that hasn't happened as much, and that's because Jack is much more secure on the ball technically. He's got that little take the ball on the half turn and and kind of transition from uh, defense into midfield from, you know, one phase of the game to the other. He's just a little bit smoother. Um I'd add to that, the by the way, pass.
1: the fact that he's playing closer to Shaka means that Shaka's not on an island yeah, t- yeah. trying to distribute under pressure as much.
3: Yeah, yeah, quite, quite. But um, you know, Jack doesn't have you know the long pass that Xhaka has. You know the instant change of play, um, but you know, they, yeah, I, I just think basically it's, it's not so much that they're similar players. It's just they have slightly similar weaknesses, and I think you're right. I think it's a very uneasy combination. But I think pretty much most of our um, most of our midfield combinations are, and that's that's why I feel like I do feel like Jacks. Yeah, jack, I, I say I don't even want to say jack Xhaka's been a bit of a problem off of the ball. Because again that, that's not his game and it never has been. He's you know, he's a, more of a number eight, so you know, he's he's fine defensively, but But he's got another
1: number he, eight with him.
3: <laughs> exactly, yeah. So he needs to be more than fine and, and he's never, you know, he's that's never been his game. That's not who he is. So it, it feels a bit churlish to criticize him for that. And and it's kind of the same for Xhaka. Xhaka has some flaws and you know, it's really feeding it's kind of feeding time. Um for the fans on Xhaka a couple of weeks ago, I forget after which game it was, but a friend of mine said to me, it, you know, it, it's fortunate in a way for Xhaka that the fan base has decided to turn on Alexis because otherwise um, things could get quite nasty for Granite Xhaka. And, um, and and I feel sorry for him as well because he's clearly a really good player. He's got some flaws. The problem is those flaws are a real, real problem for a team like Arsenal. Um and you know, so he's he's getting a bit of an unfair rap as well. So I feel like we're having a go at two players who are not athletic and not massively attuned off the ball, but you know, they're both in their mid twenties and neither of them have ever been that. So of course of course there's deficiencies there. So it's it's just, you know, it's another symptom of a of a squad that's really just oddly assembled.
1: Yeah. I mean if only there was a way you could assemble a squad. Um, you know, to be more balanced. Like if you could go out and find players that are at other teams or, you know, whatever it is, just bring in the players you need to balance the squad, that would be helpful. Um, That'd be cheating. Fair point. Yeah. Well, and as we know, the game is already cheating us. Um, and so, you know, this is probably <laughs> just more. Any team can do that, Elliot.
4: Any yeah. team can just go out and buy players that work with other players. Yeah. Where's but- the ma-
1: Where's the magic in that? The magic comes from buying all the players who have all the same qualities and trying to assemble a team with them. Um, (laughs) Let's do this. Let's talk to Scott real quick. He's going to tell us uh, that Shaka had the performance of a lifetime. When we come back, uh, Clive is going to try to keep his pants on while he talks about Ainsley Maitland-Niles.
5: Hermes link. Ice blue mink. Tide on my ribs like I do not know what permanent is. They want me gone.
1: Wait for the kicker. So Scott is here to uh, give us the uh, statistical insight that we need to understand the match more fully, and to explain to us the ways in which everything we saw was wrong, uh, that we are quite clearly fools who know nothing about the game, and uh, we can allow the data to wash over us and wash away the foolishness. So Scott, uh, you can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. You can find his work on crabstats.blogspot.com. Hello, Scott.
5: Hello. Good to be back.
1: Yes, it's good to have you back. Did you have a nice holiday and new year and time away with the family, hopefully?
5: Yeah, a good winter break, feel recharged and rested and ready to go.
1: We'll just call you Messet. Okay, so I, I say that in humor because actually <laughs> Messet didn't really have much of a winter break this year, uh, although there's still plenty of time. We'll see what happens. But let's dive into what was uh, an interesting match to watch with our eyes, but was it an interesting match to crunch the numbers for? Ah, that is the question on, on everybody's mind. So, XG, PPVA, XG Chain, what did these things tell us about the match? Who dominated this match?
5: Looking at XG, Chelsea definitely dominated the match. They almost produced four um, expected goals in this match. Um, and then, you know, that does include um, 0.8 of a penalty. So still over three expected goals. Shouldn't the um, XG
1: for a penalty for against Arsenal be one?
5: <laughs> it, it practically should be, yeah, unless they absolutely can't even hit the target. Because, I mean, you're basically shooting at an empty net.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that is right. Now, one thing I was kind of curious about, I mean, that's uh, a lot of expected goals produced by Chelsea. How much of that uh, fell to the wayward Alvaro Morata?
5: So he had um, over half of that, 1.77, Amazing. which is pretty crazy for one player to have. Um, but his three, and that's all in three shots, too, which is even more crazy. Um, pretty much all three of them, I believe, were one-on-ones with the keeper. And I think he only got one of those actually on target, which is pretty bad. Um, And then if you actually looked at, you know, the shots on target. So, yeah, um, Chelsea really dominated the total XG, uh, 3.9 to 1.2. But looking at the shots on target, which um, people always ask me this question is, why is the the number higher or lower? Um, So this one actually looks at just the shots on target. So if it's obviously off target, it's zero. um, But if it's on target, it's going to have a a different value than a regular XG. So, you know, a shot on target from inside the center of the box um, would regular have a regular XG of about 0.9. But on a shot on target might be 0.15. So when we look at the shots on target XG, Arsenal had 2.5 compared to Chelsea's 2.52. So that one shows a, a lot closer match. Um, and then I've also been kind of uh, you know working on something called the total offensive value added. so that takes into account of everything. So it's based on the same kind of principles as my passing value added, but I'm looking at things like being able to actually carry the ball. So that looks at where a player receives the ball and where he ends the ball with. So looking at being able to run with the ball, dribbles, looking at then actually getting in the shot locations. When we look at that one, um, that one actually ended up basically tied again at 2.2 to 2.2. So this was a pretty even overall match. Um, One that the first half probably should have seen a goal from both teams, um, but those goals finally came in the second half.
1: They did indeed, yeah. Um, And unfortunately, uh, they came in equal measure for Arsenal and Chelsea uh, in a game that we probably needed to win. Um, I think you would agree statistically that a draw here, while not fatal for top four, is making it look pretty bleak. Do you happen to have uh, your model up in front of you in terms of what our top four chances look like at the end of this
5: round? I I had it as uh, uh, so 20%. 20%
1: 20% and after, does that factor in three points for Spurs today or uh, at the time of recording Spurs are getting ready to kick off or may have just kicked off I mean they're playing West Ham assuming they win will that 20% drop even further
5: um, it probably will drop a little bit after their okay. win
1: yeah so I mean we're, we're quickly drifting into the zone now of needing a miracle for this to, to happen and uh, while it was an exciting game for the dreaded neutral you know three points was kind of a must and failing to pick up three points against both Liverpool and Chelsea at home. Uh, not what we wanted to see over this period. Anyway, um, let's get into a couple individual performances quickly. One that I think is interesting, I was expecting you to bring the data to support uh, the conclusion most of us had that Granite Shaka is an execrable uh, football player who should not be permitted on a pitch in an Arsenal shirt again. But in fact, that's not how you saw it. And so uh, while I'm certainly curious to hear your opinion, I'd also love to know what data you have that suggests that maybe Granite Shaka was not... Uh, committing atrocities against the game of football against Chelsea.
5: Yeah. So I actually, when I watched the match, I thought that he had a, a pretty good game. Um, and then when I came in and looked at the stats, it was surprisingly good. Um, if you look at his passing numbers, um, you know, it's 86% overall and he only misplayed two passes um, in the final third, or I'm sorry, in the middle third or the defensive third. Um, so he was very tidy there. 96% overall passing in those areas. Um, and he actually even put in um, some pretty good defensive numbers. He had eight ball recoveries leading Arsenal. Um, he was two of five in tackles. So Arsenal didn't tackle very well today, but he was one of the, the few that actually got more than one tackle. Um, he also even added in um, an interception. Um, he added a dribble, wasn't dispossessed at all. Um, and then if you actually look at the actual passing number, so his passing value added uh, was third on the team. Um, and then he was um, 0.21 per 50 passes, which came in fourth on the team. So I know everybody really wants to, to talk about Jack being having a good game. But if you actually compare the two, um, to me, granted, Jack actually comes out slightly ahead, although their numbers are very close. But I mean, a lot of people are going to be uh, kind of see Jack's goal and really push that ahead. But I mean, to me, uh, Jack in the role that he was asked to do really had a good game.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's fair. And you know, the one thing I guess, if I remember it, maybe a little more accurately, that you'd have to be be kind enough to point out for Shaka is that he was making some of those good line-breaking passes that we haven't seen enough of this season, where he was getting the ball into Ozil, you know, in in the final third. I mean, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but do do you have passes into the final third? I'm kind of I curious. Do. Yeah, did did he was he making those passes, they might have been on the edge of the final third, but it did seem like he was finding Ozil a lot with those sort of intermediate value passes, as they call them.
5: Yeah, so he was 4 of 7 in um, passes into the final third, so he was, our, I think, our our fourth highest in attempts into the final third. Um, Mesut Ozil was absolutely um, dominant, like he normally is, you know, 14 to 15 going into the final third, so that's actually something that I also wanted to kind of get into a little bit more, Um, is the the change of shape that Arsenal did have um, going from that 3-4-3 to the more 3-5-2 with Mesut dropping a lot deeper and Alexis pushing forward because you could definitely see um, Mesut in that middle a lot more. and To me, that actually seemed to um, benefit Xhaka um, because there was a lot more options for him instead of having to basically do all of that by himself. He had both Wilshere and Mesut Ozil there to help him um, kind of not have to do everything um, and Messiet really had a great game for me. Um, and then I think also Alexis um, really shined being further up the pitch. Um he's you know, he still led the team in turnovers, but I did not really see any complaints about those because <clears throat> people are you know more intuitive when he's closer to goal, they're a little bit more forgiving of those. And um, his passes did come off a little bit more today. And so I, th- I think that shape really helped the Arsenal really show what they could do.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I'm guessing Ozil and, uh, and Alexis sort of topped some of the individual stats, PPVA, offensive contribution, um, uh, XG chain, things like that.
5: Yeah, so Ozil definitely led the team in passing value added with Alexis second. Um, the thing that was actually a little bit surprising um, when we look at per 50 passes, um, Sanchez actually took, um, took the lead over Ozil. Um, because Alexis really did complete some of those passes that um, are kind of high risk, high rewards. Those high reward ones really came off. Uh, when you look at the overall offensive value added, um, Ozil was the best um, and with Alexis second, followed by Maitland Niles, who was also a, a real bright spot for me in this okay. match.
1: So let's come on to Maitland Niles. And the one, the one thing I'll say to put a pin in the shack of discussion is just that, you know, sometimes a singular big, noticeable bad play. Um, can totally change the narrative around a, a player's performance. And late in the game, Shaka had a, a misplaced pass to Welbeck in stoppage time when we had a, a pretty good counterattacking opportunity, and he just totally overhit it uh, in the touch. And it's funny, I uh, I saw a tweet from Johnny O'Neal on Twitter. It said, I would sack Shaka on sight for that last second misplaced pass to Welbeck. But, you know, all kidding aside, I do think that those kind of moments stick in your mind, Uh, following the match and they they can kind of erase any good thing that a player did in the game. So that, that's fair. Um, So as far as Maitland Niles, you know, to sort of wrap this up, he's a player that I think people are falling in love with. And I was so impressed with his coolness and his calmness, but in terms of his contribution, it sounds like uh, the data picked up on, on the performance as well.
5: Yeah. So he was uh, one of the better passers um, on the day. So he was third on the team um, in overall um, passing, uh, really just did well. Um, his XG chain um, wasn't that high, but see, I think that's one of the issues with XG chain because it really is dependent on getting a shot. And he had so many good times getting down into that danger zone um, on the on the side um, in that little wide part of the box where he was providing good width and then providing good balls. Some of the final balls just didn't quite come off. But to me, he had one of the, the better days. Um, and then when we look at the overall offense he was um, fourth in the game behind Ozil Hazard Sanchez um, and he really did well wow. um, it was a very well-rounded uh, performance for him so um, you know point uh, point one sticks came of that and you know dribbles and carrying the ball with point four added through passing and he was only dispossessed the the one time and he only p- misplayed a few passes so his negative passing was only point Negative 0.09. So overall, to me, it was a a very good game from him. Um, And I am very much starting to get on the train to to see him actually move into midfield, uh, partially because um, when you look at the average touch maps, he's pretty tucked in already into the midfield. And I think that Arsenal could actually benefit with some more width on the the pullbacks normally provide. Um, And I'd like to see him into that midfield because I think his uh, engine would really be good. And his passing is very crisp and helpful and incisive
1: yeah I think that's absolutely fair and then uh, statistically speaking um just to, to wrap this up Petr Cech, not good at saving penalties
5: no and yeah he's not even good at you know diving the correct way I think there was someone on or something online posted where he was like uh the of the penalties faced he's dived the wrong way twelve times and so that means he's only dived the correct way three times almost he's almost just to just stand up with his arms wide and hope somebody hits him
1: Amazing. I mean, I I think I read that we haven't saved a penalty since 2013. Um, and given the vast referee conspiracy against Arsenal and number of penalties, we concede that that's a problem. In any event, Scott, um, I think we'll wrap it up because it's going to probably be a pretty long pod, and, and we have a lot to get to, and I resent you for defending Shaka, so now I don't want to talk to you anymore. But I know that people want to follow you on Twitter because you do great work. Scott is on Twitter at O underscore that underscore Crab. You should find his stuff at crabstat.blogspot.com, uh, and you can learn, too, that sometimes your conclusions are incorrect. In any event, Scott, thank you so much.
5: Thank you. Hermes link Ice Blue Mike on my ribs like I do not know what permanent is They want me
1: gone out of the picture Bury me now I only get bigger as word of my word of my I'm so high yeah I'm so right now Okay well that gives us a little bit of context uh with which to look at the match and uh uh certainly Granit performance but also Ainsley Maitland Niles and and Clive, uh, this is a player that Paul first alerted us to um, by telling us last year that he was the once-and-future king of Arsenal. He may, in fact, have been right. This was a remarkable performance. And, you know, you tend to go overboard when the young guy surprises you and performs well. For example, I thought Hector Bellerin had an equally sublime, superb performance in this match but probably won't get as much praise because uh, we just know him and we're kind of... Some people are fed up with him by now. But Maitland-Niles was not just... Uh, exceptional in this match, but exceptionally composed. And I think the thing that shocked me about his performance, more than the the cool little dribbles and the nutmegs and the close control, was just his coolness, even in his own defensive third, to take a beat, to see the options, to make the the good pass, not just the hoofed clearance, um, but all around just a player that seems like he is ready to make the leap, quote-unquote, in a game that drove me nuts in a lot of ways He he's really the bright spot was he the biggest bright spot for you in this game
2: yeah he, he's not even surprising me that much anymore to be honest um Obviously, I'm interested in youth football, so I have been to a few academy games. I'm not like an avid watcher, but I've been to a few because one of my nephews has been at Arsenal so I can get to see them. And and basically, I've seen him play live, you know, when one man, his dog is there. And he's just got... I've always felt he's just got a great physique about him and I just think he looks very cool. Um, When he came into the... Arsenal youth teams I felt that he was jogging through those games he was way beyond that level hence he went to Ipswich and he started off well fizzled out and I thought he'd go out again and um, and what we're seeing now is somebody that obviously is ready and much like a lot of our youth players now I think they're ready to cope as young men but what do they do under the pressure of the big lights, live on TV versus Chelsea? And um, I always think players tell you about players. And Victor Moses, I felt we've done quite well against him. Chamber Chambers a good match up for Victor Moses. I think they're both quite strong, and he, and Oxay Chambers done quite well against him. But Victor Moses just just couldn't do anything. He couldn't he couldn't run him. He, and he just kept knocking the ball. He had a chance to go one-on-one didn't fancy it because he knew he had no chance of beating him one-on-one tackles he's just there he stands out he doesn't go to ground he had a one-on-one he tackle v-
1: against hazard didn't he was it was it hazard where where he was isolated yeah. on the wing and he just took it right off him
2: yeah wenger said about this he's got his ability to steal the ball and it is a skill in modern football if you if you go to ground and you don't get it it's a booking. And he tackles standing up. He leans on people and he just nicks the ball away from them. And sometimes he nicks it, goes to the other side. He's just a very clever defensive player. And we spoke about him before. And I looked at it when he came into the team and I thought, what do you like doing? And he obviously likes sprinting. He's, he finds sprinting and recovery quite easy. Um, sometimes he, he loses concentration. Obviously, it's not his position. I think sometimes he doesn't realise actually, mate, you're the fastest one in the back line. Can you get yourself back? You know, just in case something happens. But um, yeah, he's just he's just a, a wonderful, relaxed, mature player for his age. He's twenty years of age. And I think let's give credit to the manager. He is um he has done correct by this one he could have gone out and he kept him in he kept him in he kept him in we all want him to get onto his right foot at some stage we know it's coming we all want him to get into the midfield we know it's coming is is it coming i mean
1: mean, is the is shad kolesnach the new matthew debushi i mean you know we debushi came in he got injured bellerin came in never gave the job back i mean maitland miles is playing well enough in that position now look Kolasinac was a Bundesliga player of the season at that position, so to me, it seems natural to trust him there and move Maitland-Niles into midfield. But the performances are certainly good enough for Maitland-Niles right now to keep Kolasinac out of the team. I mean, do you suspect that the midfield move is coming, or do you think that this could be bad news for Kolasinac?
2: Well, you can't be a natural left footer, despite all what he's done to adapt. I mean, I've only ever, you know, someone like Ashley Young has made a career being on his wrong foot, fair play to him. But I don't think that there's any need uh, if, we, if we're trying to be elite to keep having somebody that wants to play inside, that plays 15 yards off the touchline. There are going to be occasions we do too. We need, we need to retain some width. And the moment we do, we get squeezed out of the game. We're looking at Maitland and say, why doesn't he stay wider? Right? So um, he's a, he's a, he wants to play inside. He wants, he naturally wants to come inside and connect with people. And that's sometimes he gets attracted and, and can leave a hole in behind. I don't think he's doing very well in position. It's not his position. Everyone knows it's not his position, so you judge him accordingly. And so what I'm seeing is a player that looks comfortable at the level. And Chelsea is not just at the Premiership level. This is the champions we're talking about. So if you can do that, you can do Champions League. right? So And that's what we found. I think it's very exciting. And I've said a few pods back there. It's one of the most exciting things of the season. And to me, it's the most exciting thing to see this player emerge into yeah. a, an Arsenal quality player.
1: Yeah, and and I mean the the tackling really impressed me because I I think we've seen that he has a dribble that he has pace that his recovery runs are good, but he was so cool under pressure. I mean, Paul, you know, I I tweeted, you know, he had such a good performance. I I'm half expecting Shabby to pipe up and tell us he has Barca DNA. I mean, he just he looked. You know, Chambers looked overawed by the game at times, and Maitland-Niles almost looked like the game was beneath him, and I mean that in a complimentary way. He didn't look overawed. He didn't look panicked. Um, The moment wasn't too big for him, and I, I think that is really unusual because if there's one thing that unfortunately we see from a lot of Arsenal players lately is the moment getting the best of them. Do you suspect that the manager will eventually make the move to central midfield with him?
4: Well, I I think Maitland Niles had to go at making the move himself in the game yesterday. There was like two or three occasions he kind of moved towards the midfield and stayed there and started interconnecting it. And you could see, he's what I really really like is the pace uh, of his passing in tight areas in the midfield. I mean, it's just kind of silky smooth. Uh, like a natural midfielder. You don't really see a lot of players with that kind of touch, which is what gives me the greatest hope when he gets to play there. Um, I I think most of this season will be a bit like this for him, uh, filling in for Kalasinac. I mean, I, I think the major issue with Kalasinac is there's some injury stuff going on there. I mean, obviously he's out at the moment, but he's just been out. Um, and I think he's struggling between niggles and form, um, but I do expect him to come back strong into that position, um, or it's a wasted signing and a spot for us, but I guess we've had a couple of those. Um, I, I just don't see the manager's inclination right now to use Maitland-Niles, where we're all itching to see him, and in the end, it might be the right thing uh, to hold back a little bit, because... I know he comes across as ice cold cool, but in all the time I've watched him, I still think that's somebody suppressing an excess of emotion, not somebody whose eyes cool. I, I mean, I, yeah, it certainly I,
1: didn't I, show in this game.
4: I mean, no, no, yeah. it didn't. Um, but you see, his, he has some, some kind of funky uh, body language reactions to situations that go wrong from where he, he kind of, he almost lacks acts like, well, I really wasn't trying just there. And I, I definitely think he's still working through his anxiety levels in the game, but he puts on this super cold, cool exterior. Well, whatever it I is, it's the-
1: working. It's better than whatever Chambers is trying.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: what You mean waving at people upfield that don't exist?
1: <laughs> a, yeah, imaginary friends.
4: Um, yeah. Well, but, look. But the yeah, one point I did that are—it's a small point—but I did like it. the, the Hazard tackle. Um, I thought it was big because he didn't just outpace him. He did the same thing he did with Mo Salah uh, a couple of games ago. He you, he he spends his speed in a couple of different ways. Uh, and pace only gets you, you so far. When you have the specific density of Hazard's arse, being fast isn't enough. He'll just fucking knock you, knock you into the next week.
1: J- just ask but, uh, Francis Coughlin.
4: <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's the perfect contrast, right? Um maitland niles used his speed to get position he he then kind of converted some of it into balance poise and choosing his moment and he basically overpowered him he didn't just use his speed he his balance in the tackle we've seen it a few times now is delicious we've seen him running people out over the byline for a corner uh, it's not just speed. He's not just trying to kind of nip around the guy and do something athletic. He really uses his balance in the tackle, and that's why I think he can be a hell of a DM, uh, a, a smooth-flowing passing DM, yeah. as well as his stint on the wing here.
1: Yeah, and and I think, you know, to, to uh, uh, sort of expand on Clive's point of saying the most exciting thing of the season is Maitland-Niles' development, I would I would put a caveat on that. If he stays at left wing back, I disagree only because, first of all, I think Kolasinac is fine. And second of all, as important as your wingbacks are, your midfielders are more important. And so if we've discovered the future of our quick, athletic, rangy, technically gifted central midfielder, it is the most important development of the season. If we found a rotational option and, and a future option at fullback, I don't know how valuable that is. So... You know, yeah. we will see. Um, and let let me stay with you, uh, Paul, just for one second, um, because I think we have to tip our hat to Hector Bellerin as well, right? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah,
4: yeah, You know, yeah.
1: he's coming for a lot of abuse. And and Tim, I'll come to you in just a second because I, cause I have a, mm. a whole section ready for you. Uh, but <laughs> but but just real quick, can we can we at least tip our hat to Hector Bellerin? Every time he sees Marcus Alonso, now he takes his game up another level. And. Um, uh, you know, he he nutmegged him on a few occasions. He ran past him, knocked it past him, and and Alonso couldn't keep up with him on a few other occasions. He obviously scores the, the goal brilliantly and great for him. I mean, is it nice to see Hector Bellerin just sticking at it despite some probably undeserved abuse?
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, we don't have any middle ground. He's obviously not in the form of his life, uh, but it's also probably the... Uh, along with the two midfielders, the position that's going to get you the most abuse, well, I guess, along with our defenders. Okay, there's a lot of positions <laughs> that will get you some abuse. What about central but midfield? Wing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But wing back, I mean, be a winger and also be a rock solid defender in position, knowing all your distances and being aware of everybody who's over your shoulder. I mean, you're up one end, you're down the other. And, the and play every what,
1: single game because there's nobody backing game. you up.
4: <laughs> yeah and he's what 21 now 22 or something um i mean I, I just think we're the standard and like you say you can have a game where he plays every bit as good and better than Maitland Niles and understandable to some ex, uh, uh, to some level that the expectation levels are so different but they can both have a very good game and Hector can can actually be the better player, just judged on the the merits of the game. And he'll get slated. And Maitland-Niles, you know, I I mean, there were two occasions Maitland-Niles got well beaten. One led to a goal. And, you know, we shouldn't harp on those, and we should probably move swiftly on from them because what are you going to expect when you leave a guy one-on-one with uh, experienced... Uh, wing players, uh, but you know, Hector's dealing with the same struggles on the other side, he's got a, a centre-back inside him, waving at him like crazy, communicating um, I thought he had a generally a very good game, not brilliant, made a couple of mistakes but there seems to be this big divide where a whole bunch of people are uh, I think we need to be very careful because uh, he's going to be a hot property and I would think he would be better off feeling the love from the club, especially you know if you don't love me at my worst, you don't deserve me
1: at my best. Yeah. Well, he's nowhere near his worst, but and we, and we love you at your worst regularly, and we're, we yeah. we keep waiting for your best and continue yeah. to love you at your worst. So yeah, yeah. so anyway, um, karma, guys, be yeah. nice to him. I promised him a segment, but I'm going to go back to Clive just for a second.
2: <laughs> oh, just quickly, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree with Paul on bettering absolutely. And I sent a tweet out on him last night, and it's the most populist tweet I've ever said in support of him. He's, never, he's had so many retweets, but um, just going back you, to what You, you sound a little
1: earlier. like Donald, Donald Trump there,
2: Clive, just to find
1: <laughs> It's the <laughs> Sorry, best tweet, man. it's the most popular tweet. You wouldn't believe the retweets I'm getting.
2: <laughs> well, I've never expected it, so it's like a, a it was well
1: deserved. I retweeted it, it was a fantastic tweet.
2: So, um, but just going back to what Paul was saying about Chambers and, and Maitland Niles and why one looks balanced and why one doesn't. M- Maitland Niles has got something called core stability. His core strength is huge. And when he goes into one on one tackles, he doesn't move. If you watch Chambers when he goes in and challenges, he gets moved. When he goes in, he has to use his arms to balance himself. Even that penalty the other day, his arms were all over the place because he, when he bends his legs, he bends his back to adjusted feet to go into a tackle. He's not stable, so he uses his arms. His arms go into strange positions. And all that does is tell you, the fan, you're not in control of your job, mate. You're not in control. He needs to physically improve hugely on his strength, his core, his power, one-on-ones. And mm-hmm. then he'll look more balanced, and then he'll give you the feeling of, of comfort. And, and that's why we all can see, mate, because he's easy to see because he looks stress-free. In everything he does, it looks like he's in control. And your line, Elliot, is spot on. Sometimes he makes the game look like it's beneath him, and that's a great line. That's how he used to be when he was a youth player. It's all like, this is too easy for me. If he starts to do that at the premises level, what have we got on our hands here?
1: As long as it doesn't mean you're not focused, then yeah, and he certainly looks focused and, and really plugged into what's happening right now. So, so Tim, um, oh. how are you doing? Yeah, good. How you been? Good? Good? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, 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 so a uh, couple of things. You know, I mean, Alexis and Lacazette really ran the show. Uh, pardon me. Alexis Nozel really ran the show for large periods of this game, and I, I thought they were mm. both at, at their scintillating best at times in this game. But chances did fall to Lacazette, and, and I kind of feel for him because he's having a lot of nearly performances right now. I mean, if you look mm. at his two best chances, that shot that saved uh, low to his left by Courtois, Um, Maybe he doesn't hit it with the power he wants to, but he does a really Mm. nice job to turn and set himself. The one where he gets free in the area, um, he maybe takes too long over trying to decide the finish, but what an incredible turn that is to take two defenders away and, and free himself in the box. And so... You know, I mean, you look at Murata, who had 1.77 xG on three shots, where all he had to do was run straight. And then you look at Lacazette, who's kind of getting killed a little bit, and the technical quality he had to display to create the chances he wound up with. I feel for him a little bit. But does he is he still trying to figure out where to be to get involved with Ozil and Alexis? Um, is it is it time to maybe be a little critical of of how he's performing with? You know with those other two or do you think he's just getting a little unlucky in terms of the the goals not going in right now?
3: I I think he's getting there slowly. So a couple of weeks ago I was more inclined to be slightly on the critical side, but with the caveat that you know he's just arrived and you know let I've said this a few times, let's not underestimate how big a move this is for him. He's been at Leon his whole career. It's it's where he's from. So he's been in his back garden for, you know, the last kind of 12 years or so. And now he's come to Arsenal, he's come to the Premier League. Big expectation. You know, there's this real, like, football... We've gone even further, even further into the fating of individuals and, you know, fetishization of the transfer market. So when Arsenal signed Lacazette in the same summer that United signed Lukaku and Chelsea signed Morata when there's those three, you know, really big striker signings. And you see it on Twitter all the time. It's like top trumps. Everyone's just comparing them all the time. It's just Lukaku hasn't scored for six games and Lacazette's done this. And then it's, oh, if if, um, if Lukaku was doing what Lacazette does at the moment, you know, people are so obsessed with individuals that there's a lot, there's a lot of pressure on him there. And I, I think, I think largely he's doing well. I think, um, because this will go out on Friday and so by the time it's out you'll have already read it Um, I kind of made a case for which I've hinted at on this podcast for bringing Theo Walcott in um, to the team partly because I think he'd get a bit more out of Bellerin but largely because I think he'd get a bit more out of Lacazette because it's first of all it's not a massive coincidence that um, since Ramsey came out Lacazette hasn't scored because he doesn't have that extra runner going beyond him at the moment and occupying defenders. But what is a really, really positive development for me is that he's making his own chances out of nothing. We've seen it a few times in the last um, couple of weeks and it hasn't quite gone in. But you can see he's, he's twisting, he's turning, he's finding space. Um, he's got that link play. I, I think he's doing it really well, actually. And it's probably not the job he's quite used to. Maybe not even the one he signed up for, but he's really worked on it. He's really worked to that kind of holding the ball up, laying it off. Um, and I, th- I think that's really, really positive. And I think it's it- it's always like this when you get a new player. It's not just about him acclimatising. It's about his teammates acclimatising to him. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a little bit of that as well. I think we've got... To, I, I feel like at the moment Lacazette's taken half a step back towards the team and the team needs to take half a step back towards him but there have there have been some really really kind of um, useful link-ups the the Alexis goal at Palace the Ozil goal against Liverpool um, you know he combined really well with Ozil again um, in this game which a goal that would have been really similar to the Liverpool one but as went to square it because um, shooting would have meant shooting with his right foot. So he wouldn't do it. And I I think there's some really, really positive signs there. Um, and I'm, I'm quite enthused and, you know, we've been taking him off after 70 minutes or so. And, and actually I, I don't think he's looked, he looks physically better as well. He doesn't look as shot after 65 minutes. He looks shot after 80 minutes now. Um, so that that tells you is on on a really good upward trajectory, um, and and just to just to row back really really slightly, I just wanted to make one point about Maitland Niles actually. That um, just to pick up on something Clive said, that his development is kind of the positive of the season. Um, I'd, I'd echo that. I think there's a lot that divides Arsenal fans at the moment. Even brilliant players like Hector Bellerin are for some reason getting it in the neck, but. There's, there's not a lot that unites Arsenal fans at the moment, but I think there's two things. One, um, everyone's really getting behind Jack Wilshire and the kind of his comeback. That's, that's a really unifying force and you can hear that in the stands. You can see it on social media. And I think Maitland-Niles could be the other one. Um, that, you know, him coming through, impressing people... You know, younger players that come in usually get a bit of latitude as well. So it, it's it's one of the few unifying forces for Arsenal fans at the moment.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Did you see this? There was a stat making the rounds about Lacazette, by the way, that I thought was really interesting. I think, I'm think i not going to get it right because I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know why I'm going to quote it because I'm going to quote it wrong and then what's the point of that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it was something <laughs> along the lines of 28% or something, but the more important point is the most prolific period for Lacazette at Lyon, goal scoring wise, was from 75 minutes to 90 minutes. Mm. Um, that was his I most think prolific... It, I
4: think it was the 28 out of his 100 goals or something like that for That Leon. lines up with 28%, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm not a math expert. I was told there'd be no math,
2: but, um, yeah, I saw that too, Eddie. You're, you're nearly right. But you, 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 it's just late in games. That's when he scores his goals, basically. I,
1: I thought it was after 75 minutes, but it was late in games. Whenever the yeah. minute was, I guess my question to you, Tim, is... I mean. You know, we all kind of laughed a little bit about Arsene Menger saying Shaka was a box-to-box midfielder. Um, he mm. clearly isn't. You know, he didn't seem to know what he was. Mesut Ozil arrives and plays ninety minutes every game after really only being a you know 60, 70 seventy-minute player at Real yeah. Madrid. And here comes Lacazette, who he refuses to play beyond the seventy-minute mark. And that was his most prolific period of the matches, the end of matches at Lyon. I mean, do you wonder if if there's something going on there, or if the manager doesn't understand what he has and that maybe he's misjudged his physicality. I mean, I think we've all agreed at times that Lacazette sometimes looks like looks like his race is run, but given mm. that he scored such a high percentage of his goals at the end of games in Lyon, is, isn't it incumbent upon Arson to see if he can impact that state of the game? I mean, games get open and, and chaotic and fractured yeah. at times at the end. We saw how this game finished. It was a mess. And, you know, I, with all due respect to Danny Welbeck, had Lacazette been on in that period of the game, it might have been different.
3: Yeah, yeah, maybe long term, yes. Um, short term, you know, um, the last fifteen minutes of a league game is is quite different to the last fifteen minutes of a Premier League game. I think, or rather, seventy five minutes of a Premier League game is, is different to seventy five minutes in league. So, yeah, long term, um, that that's what you'd look for from him. And you're right, like because he's, you know, the the tie, I, I looked um, on YouTube. Uh, his goals for Leon, as you do when you sign a new striker and uh, quite a lot of them were, hit, were him going in behind for obvious reasons that goal isn't quite available to him as much um at Arsenal at the moment because teams don't really attack us um so that that kind of almost like Jamie Vardy-esque kind of power running uh one-on-one and then lashing it past the keeper um and and obviously he can't do that at Arsenal as much, which was why I was always a little bit dubious about assigning Jamie Vardy. But uh, well, amongst other reasons. But um, yeah, but but long term, you'd you'd really look to get that out of him, um, particularly as you say, because games can become a bit more stretched. And particularly if we're if we're like leading one nil um, with ten minutes to go, and the other team has to come out, um, that's perhaps when we could really use him, you know, to kill a game off as well. So. Yes, long-term, but short-term, I I understand why he's managed Lacazette the way he has. Uh, he's getting Lacazette working very hard off the ball in a far more intense league, um, and he I think he wants to ease him in, but I'd say let's look at what's happening at the end of the
2: season before we make any big judgments on that.
1: Yeah, f- fair enough. Uh, Clive, little final word on, on Lacazette.
2: Yeah, equally encouraged, Tim. I'm, I'm with Major completely how he's handling him. I think when I first saw him at the Emirates Cup a few years back, everyone was telling me about his number nine. And I looked at him and I thought, actually, he looks a bit more like a, num- a nine and a half, like a connector. And um, it's interesting to France never play him and Giroud in the same team because they both do similar jobs. And now people are seeing that. I think for me, he's definitely somebody who needs a strike partner. He's a, he's He hasn't got the goals in behind, as Tim alluded to, but what he has got is sharp combinations, round the corner, short passing and bright movement. I think he reads a partner really well. Him and Alexis read each other quite as soon as they're close, you feel excited because you think something's going to happen. The natural development for this team has got to be two forwards. It just has to be. We've got this guy. He hasn't got the physicality right now to be a lone striker like Giroud has. Alexis could barely do it. He made it work with Theo alongside him being the muscle man and, and Welbeck being near him and the be being near him. So he made it work. Lacazette, like if we could get him another strike partner, I think he could explode next year. And I think we've just got to wait for him until he adapts physically to the game. And once he does, I think we're going to have a player.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously... Will have sold him this summer, so Nketiah can make his <laughs> development. But you know, whatever, it's all cool. Um, yeah, I, look, I, I think I would like to see him get chances to finish games. I, you know, I, I just think, especially when you consider how much, and uh, you know, confidence gets thrown around too much, but. Confidence helps with strikers. Strikers get on hot runs of form. I, I just think, given it how prolific he was in, in the final parts of games for Lyon, at least give him a chance. Um, Giroud's out right now anyway, and you wind up bringing on Danny, who's in terrible form. Uh, although, I don't know if you saw John Cross's tweet, and I don't know the guy here. He's lovely, but some of the things he comes up with. Uh, I think his tweet was basically, you know, Lacazette, maybe not worth the money. What does Danny Welbeck have to do to get a chance to start? Blimey. You know, I, I don't see it, John. Um, but uh, okay, so so real quick, Paul. You know, we we got ourselves in position. The the penalty equalizes. You know, Tim did enough on the penalty. I don't want to go in the refereeing decisions. I also, by the way, don't think the Maitland Niles one was a penalty either. I you know I, I think he kicks his own foot and maybe there maybe there's contact or not that caused him to do it either way i don't think either either one it's not a penalty just like i don't think the hazard one is a penalty but again more interesting things to talk about so um but they're the one that gives them the lead it's really really bad defending Uh, mustafi has to be aware of where alonzo is there i i think again usually when i say these things i'm wrong so i want to get get the right answer from you but um you know, Maitland Niles maybe gets just a tiny little bit exposed in terms of giving the room for the cross, but the problem is is central defenders again not just not understanding their positioning and not tracking their men. I mean, do you see that as, as being Mustafi's mistake?
4: Yeah, uh, I mean yes. Uh, th- my heart goes out to defenders in general because it's the blink of a feck and eye. You look at him and and everything's fine. It's under control. Mustafi checks over his shoulder. He's in the right position. It's all cool. Then he needs to quickly scan one more time. But right well, doesn't at that he just instant, need to be
1: playing closer to that front post a little bit? I mean, isn't he isn't he it, standing well, in the wrong place? Why is he standing in the middle of the goal? Well,
4: but remember, Maitland Niles has his man covered. There's a moment where you think, oh yeah, he's got this, and uh, then he kind of falls behind the pace a little bit, and before he knows it, the the situation has changed. So I'm not saying it's not Mustafi's fault. I'm just saying yeah, I feel. Yeah, I don't for know. Them.
1: I'm by, by the that, way, I wasn't saying that like I know. I'm asking. I mean, isn't the right position for him to take up there just a little bit more I towards see, the, yeah. the near post?
4: Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't know he has the problem of a man coming across him, so he's he's staying on his man. Plus, he doesn't know how the play is going to play out. I mean, I do think there's a moment where suddenly it's like, "Oh fuck!" Uh, Maitland Niles has lost lost his man when I and probably Mustafa Mustafi were of the opinion that uh, Maitland had a it covered it looked under
1: control. But but you know this is so. This is the one thing I want to push back against. Everybody loves to kill Arson Wenger, and I do it too. And and you know, say, oh, he can make, you know, this system can make any defender look bad. And I agree. When your fullbacks are bombing up the pitch and you're standing on the halfway line, that's really tough as a central defender. And, and, you know, when the midfield is imbalanced, again, really tough as a central defender. But standing in the wrong place too deep in your own box, not tracking runs i mean that's not yeah. the system that's basic defending and you know I, i'm yeah I'm you not-
4: c- you kind of made this point earlier and i agreed with it even th- even more in that context um because i mean we made calamitous mistakes the, most of morata's opportunities were things that a good three at the back shouldn't do and when you look at the three they had uh you know i, I fucking hate cal but but he's kind of proved himself um, it, at some level. I mean, it's just the look of him. Oh, I want to punch his shorts. You know what I mean? With this big, stupid fucking shorts and the way he bounces and he hops around the place. But he's actually <laughs> overall quite good. Uh, Christensen seems to be the real deal. He he's kind of the 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 kid who came in. You know, you compare holding and chambers against Christensen and, you know, it's you, kind of like oh, oh dear. Are you
1: sorry that holding didn't cost fifty million? Because I'm really yeah, happy no, holding didn't cost fifty million.
4: That that quote keeps coming up all the time. But <laughs> to be fair, I still think holding is a, a. He was the guy who came out with this with some real credit. Of the three center backs, he did best. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I actually thought he was pretty good. Anyway, um. So, but I agree with you. I mean, the, this was a day in which I would say. The mistakes were individual mistakes. Now, uh, they're never devoid of the system and the people around them and blah, 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 and the fact, you know, training and blah. But, man, we dropped some clangers individually If in Mustafi is area. the
1: future of our, you know, if he is the anchor of our defense for the future, as Koscielny starts to be phased out and Sacker is gone, and whether it's Chambers and Holding or Holding in another guy or Chambers in another guy, whatever it winds up being, he yeah. has to be better technically as a defender and the excuse that it's not his fault it's the system it's arson wenger isn't going to work he dives in too much in my opinion He is positionally not fantastic look he is phenomenal on the ball and i think that is a quality in modern football that big clubs need you need to be able to play out from the back you need to have line breaking center backs i love that he can do that but you have to be able to defend you know you do I, I, i'm sorry uh, he definitely has some
4: excuses in this game though because he's got like it's a different lineup one more time
1: what the hell happened so we score the equalizer paul and we'll, we'll come on to that with clive yeah. in a moment but what the hell happened like it reminded me of the I, monaco game in, yeah, in a way yeah 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 why are we so incapable of i mean i don't know if you're watching on, on well i know you're watching on tv paul I, you know for those of you listening or watching on tv they didn't even get back to the live action fast enough for us to see how they got in on goal, but like,
4: how,
1: how is it that we are capable of being so unaware of what's going on?
4: You know why it's like the Monaco game? Because when you watch it on the TV, you're missing the bit that leads up to, holy fuck, there's a guy running at our goal. Yeah. You know, they're, they're still showing replays. T- Tim, of you, did you
1: see it? I mean, how how do they wind up in on <laughs> what goal? What the fuck? <laughs> so for those of us who had to watch I, it on TV. I,
3: well, all I can tell you, I was I was absolutely furious as it unfolded. And uh, like my a friend I go with who is, you know, not given to fits of temper at football grounds anymore because he's been going for 50 odd years and seen it all before. But even here, like one of his bugbears is Arsenal not working hard enough to get back. Um, and we, we see it a lot from where we are. We, you know, whenever a team breaks on us, he'll always be like one, two, three, four, jogging, walking. And uh, obviously in the tension of the moment, that that becomes a little bit more explosive. But, I you know, I I, I think I'd only just finished celebrating the equaliser. So the adrenaline was still so you had go- the players. But, so I mean, you're the problem. You're the problems. problem, Tim. I was, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't like going, go on, go for them. At first, actually, we were complaining about when Chelsea scored, they spun out that celebration for fucking endlessly. It went on for minutes. And we, we were actually quite aggrieved there was only four minutes stoppage time because that Chelsea celebration went to, well, not so much the celebration, but how long it took them to get back. They spun the fuck out of that. Whereas Arsenal went and grabbed the ball and put it on the centre circle. And we were all a bit like, is that what we want to be doing And um, yeah, I I was absolutely furious because we had five guys up front, but we weren't even attacking. That was the thing. We didn't even, it's not even like we went on the attack and overcommitted. We didn't have the ball, but everyone was just standing up front. And yeah, I was, I was absolutely furious and we got away with that big time. Yeah. And, And it's, it's also another massive misjudgment by Chambers who, Misjudges the bounce of the ball um, mustafi who's the center half and their short four you'd think would be covering round the back is nowhere to be seen and it's it's just a massive mess
1: yeah yeah um so i mean just just Paul do you want to just finish on sort of like the the defensive deficiencies and and kind of you know M- mustafi chambers holding i mean it is are we just still looking for individuals who can defend? I mean, is it, is it as simple as that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I like to think there's still a hell of a player there with Mustafi with the right players around him. I mean, you look at our three against their three in terms of consistency and experience and, you know, allowing for Christensen being a little bit of a freak here um, and their two wing backs in terms of experience. I mean, they definitely had the more experienced back five uh, pretty damn experienced mi- midfield three. So you would expect them to be the more secure, but man, oh man. And then the number of changes and, and lineup changes and configuration changes we've had and, uh, you know, holding on the right, holding on the left, yeah. um, et etc.
1: Someone it, stop listening a, to music, whoever you are, Clive, I'm going to yeah, blame you. You do it.
4: It, it. It's just a recipe for, for, uh, exposing any vulnerabilities there. So I'm hoping Mustafi is still a player there for us. Holding, yeah. good. Chambers, oh my lordy. I've always thought he's... I, I think you can find many pods in which I've expressed a little bit of concern about his uh, mental ruggedness. You can, um, look, composure... This did not change my mind.
1: Maybe more than any physical asset, composure is so important as a central defender, right? Just being able to be calm and composed and read a moment and not panic. And he just doesn't have it. So, I, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that just develops later. We'll see. Uh, Clive, the yeah. the two moments, you know, of the match for us that, you know, got us the result. There was the Bellerin goal we've kind of touched on it already, but the the Wilshire goal was such such a momentous moment for us. And obviously the penalty poured a little cold water on it. But, I don't know that I would say that Jack Wilshere was having the best game, and I, I think that this looked one too many games for him, but him getting a goal was, was such a big moment. I mean, how special was that for you? And, I, I mean, I don't know that he had the best game, but, you know, how much did you enjoy seeing him pop up and score what we hoped at the time would be the winner?
2: Yeah, I'm with you on this. I, I was tweeting all through the game, is this one game too many? He's he's struggling. He, he looks stiff at the start, and I, and I thought he was... I thought he was leggy and and when he gets leggy he starts to dive into tackles and he did a couple of he got booked and that reminded me of the old Jack right it reminded me of somebody just throwing himself around because he's on the stretch and um, he got his goal and it was a great goal good for him right he smashed it at the goal and um, great he went in and I was pleased for him right? because that's the level of game is going to get judged in but of all the recent games if I'm being honest, I thought he fought really hard in this game not to have a six out of ten. He had a six and a half, seven out of ten with the goal. And again, that's another reason why I like him is because he's got the ability to fight for his game. And while he's fighting for his game, he's still helping the team. He's still helping the structure of the team. The whole partnership's not ideal. Some of the things he does are not ideal. The balance is not perfect. And we all sort of know that. But he sort of made it work. And he sort of challenged Chelsea in a technical way, in a running way. He got fouls. He was spiky. He wasn't perfect. But he just did enough to cause them a problem. And then that, those are the games, with your manager, you're thinking, those are the games that build trust and that when you build trust with your manager, you get selected. So from his perspective, that's a really successful night.
1: If you were going to make a change going forward, and and I don't mean like the next game. So, you know, let's say, you know, none of these guys start against Forrest, and now, you know, Premier League comes back. And and let's say you were going to bring Maitland-Niles into midfield. Would you be bringing him in for Shaq or for Jack at this point?
2: Yeah, uh, uh, um, it'll probably good answer. be. Love that one. <laughs> <laughs> I on, but that's what we have you on here for. Articulate um, answers like that. One. <laughs> did it sound good? <laughs> it did. It sounded I think, uh, fantastic. I think I don't think it matters. Right? Honestly, I don't think it matters. We get hung up on these first eleven, and I'm pleased that Jack is now an Arsenal level player again. Can I rephrase it, it in a way that forces for you years. to make a, a
1: choice here? Which which player would you prefer to see continue to start if Maitland Niles was going to be the partner?
2: I would, I would still go with with Shaka slightly. I would go Shaka slightly, yeah, okay. only because he's a bit more worldly wise at the moment, right? So, um, but I don't. I, honestly, it's it's a hair's breadth. It, it doesn't bother me. I just don't want to see people like Ramsey break down, and I, and I look at the midfield differently. I like to see rotation you know I, I want to see enough quality players that we don't care
1: at a minimum you, you made a big point what Jack has proven us at a minimum is if we can get another guy into in the midfield that Shaka and Jack can play sort of interchangeably yep. and you don't feel that you're going down a level or at least you exactly. know not substantially yeah I mean Paul r- real quick final word on, on Wilshire before we kind of come to the the lasting impressions from the game
4: yeah, um, I mean, the main thing I wanted to say on Jack was um, this This goal's been coming. I mean, he's had two or three games now where, like, like Ramsey gets into those positions, Jack's been doing very good at getting into that position once or twice a game. Um, so it kind of depends what you want out of your midfielder. And uh, we haven't seen enough from Maitland-Niles yet to see him dancing through the midfield time and time again. Um, but he's done it once or twice. So, But you do need some player to threaten the box, and I think that's what Jack gives you alongside Maitland-Niles. Um, so not necessarily that Jack's better than Chaka, but he might work just that little bit better with Maitland-Niles as the covering midfielder. But what really disappointed me with all the media coverage after this, uh, there was a fascination about the penalties, but there was also you saw the beginning of them going back to form in the media to paint Jack as Jekyll and Hyde in the one game. Good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Just leave the fucker alone. And
2: what did he do? That means he's playing well, Paul, doesn't he? The fact
4: they can do that to him. And that he's spiky. And that he's professional in the kind of the bad sense of the word. Uh, And they go on about fucking Jack's dive when you've got Moses and fucking Eden Hazard on the pitch who had a good night for them in that they didn't. Well, actually... Hazard a dive. Did yes, that is a dive. <laughs> dive. Contact or no, pretend. it's a dive.
1: It's yeah, still a dive. There a can be contact and it can be a dive.
4: Um, He's the fucking diver-in-chief, and then they go on about him lunging in on tackles, which we've talked about too, but not portraying him as fucking the Hyde. Is it Jekyll? Jekyll sounds like the bad out of the two. Jekyll's two actually
1: the doctor. Hyde is the monster.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That, anyway. Well, fuck. Anyway. The the hide aspect (laughs) of them. It just, it's it's his first game where he's really expressed his full range, good and bad, and they go straight for the fucking Jekyll and Hyde. It of course. Pisses um, me off. Leave yeah. the boy alone. This, yeah, this, well. is
2: the, this is the stuff that stops him getting picked for the England squad because yeah. Southgate doesn't want this guy that comes in and makes it all about him. I think Jack's been pretty quiet, and they've made yeah. him loud again. They've made him loud. If he, has, if he gets caught with a cigarette, it's all over for him, isn't it? Right? You know what's he, interesting? He There's has an article be,
1: that just came out about how he's but, gone gluten-free and... He's yeah, he gets caught
2: with some cheese,
1: he's fucked. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Damn it, you stole my joke, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Okay, bear look, down the alleyway around the look, side of a nightclub. <laughs> we're we're going to get to the last little bits here, <laughs> little, little little tidbits at the end of this. And And Tim, this Ooh. whole holiday period, this whole time, we've been saying, hey... Shame Theo's off. What a difference he could have made. And then he fucking brings him on in the last few minutes of the scale. I thought I was taking crazy pills. What was that?
3: Well, he, I mean, Theo was sat down um, when, and then Chelsea scored and he was told, go and warm up. And he did, he sprinted to the corner flag and there was come back. So it was not in the plan to bring Theo Walker on. It was just when we went 2-1 down. That said, he did save a substitution. And considering this is the last game of a fairly congested period and he's done it with very little rotation um you could say that maybe he was deliberately leaving that ace up his sleeve but it wasn't in the plan theo was uh, theo was sat down probably like looking at twitter or do, something
1: do you think this was a frustrated manager <clears throat> losing his mind and in the heat of the moment not giving a <laughs> shit if he scuppers the southampton deal i mean i'm not even joking like do you think he was <laughs> yeah, so maybe. frustrated I, by I, I that wouldn't... by that goal that he he just he said fuck it i'm gonna use theo even though i'm i'm about to sell him I'm,
3: I I think it was probably always in his mind that I will only bring him on if we are two one down with or, you know we're a goal down with like a couple of minutes to go. Um, I I don't think he panics per se, and like I say, like we did leave that sub free, whether that was intentional or not, I don't know, but I I don't think it was quite that panicky. I I think it was I think, I think if we'd have spoken to him before the game and he was completely honest, he probably would have said. Um, yeah, I'll I'll bring Theo on, but only as an absolute last ditch. And and let's face it, that was last ditch. We would we went two one down with five minutes left. So that you know that's the definition. So yeah, yeah. The, I, ga- the game lost its mind
1: in those last few minutes. I yeah. mean, it really was crazy, and, and unfortunately, Theo didn't really have the chance to impact it, unfortunately, um, as I said. Uh, a couple other little things, Tim. I mean, so following the match, the manager did kind of lose the plot a little bit. I mean, I mm. I have sympathy for him. I think people overdo it on picking on managers who have been through the emotional ringer and then right after the game have mm. to make comments. I and mean, obviously, I think we'd all agree we'd prefer that Arsene Wenger not make comments about, Committing suicide. I mean, yeah, yeah. for a man who's as intelligent as articulate and thoughtful and caring as he is, I think he would probably like to have that comment back. I don't think it warrants, a lot yeah, yeah. of debate or discussion other than to say it's it's not the ideal way to say it. But overall, no, the content of his po- yeah, right. I, I mean, the the content of this post match comments. though, do you think they deserve the sort of opprobrium they've received from the the media? I mean, do you think mm. he really seemed like a guy who's who had lost the plot, or do you feel he's just your typical angry heat of the moment aggrieved manager
3: a little bit of both I think he's doubling down a bit on what he said after the West Brom game and I think he wanted to say that anyway and you know having conceded another contentious penalty I can I can see why he was upset and why he doubled down on a lot of things he said where I think he probably lost it a little bit and where if it was someone like Mourinho I would be all over this where one minute he's saying to the journalists you know you guys don't write about refereeing decisions you let them get away with it when i i think you know i think there's far too much discussion about it not that it shouldn't be discussed at all but i think it's all anyone ever fucking talks about um, and then, you know, he says, oh, what upsets me is we've seen this brilliant game and you're asking me about this, which is all totally contradictory.
1: See, can can um, I just put, chime in on that real quick? Because I have a different mm. interpretation. I think what he was trying to say, and correct me if you disagree, I think he was trying mm. to say "It's a, it's a shame that all you have to ask me about is referees after a fantastic football game, meaning we should be in a the situation where the crack. referee yeah, decisions yeah, yeah. don't overshadow the football that yeah, was on yeah. display.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. You could be right. You could be right. It's another, you know, the referees are crap. But at the same time, um I I I always felt it was a bit counterproductive to have a pop at all officials after the West Brom game because then when there's a marginal decision, uh, you know, you know basically like he said it about all reps in the Premier League, right? So by implication that's Anthony Taylor as well. And if you basically just told him that he's a useless prick before the game then he's probably going to do that but I hope people remember this back in 2007 after the League Cup final Howard Webb um, had a bit of a shocker because he sent Touré off when he should have sent Aboué off and I think he was afraid to admit mistaken identity because you know certain accusations would come out at that time and you know he doubled down on it and I think Arsene Wenger called him a coward um for that and then in the next game we went to Blackburn and Freddie Lundberg was absolutely wiped out in the penalty area and we didn't get it and that that really felt like you know the referee kind of saying I'm sticking up for my mate there and you know maybe I'm completely wrong about this because I'm not in the referee's head but I, I always felt it's a it's a dangerous thing to do it's a dangerous thing to do to take on the referees rightly or wrongly, whether you think the PGMOL is insular and protective and et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's still a, it's, it's, um, it's fraught with difficulty, put it that way. So it's, I, I it's think tough, it's tough, right? Cause counterproductive. You
1: can make the argument that putting the pressure on the referees makes it so that the next time there's a close call, they say, Oh, these guys have been getting yeah, stupid yeah. lately. I can't make it. Or to your point, you know what? Fuck this guy. He thinks we're all incompetent. I'm, I'm going to yeah. call another one against him. I, I, I think, to your point, the safest and best thing is just not to be discussing it. Now, I do fully acknowledge that if I were Arsene Wenger, I would have you know eight by ten portraits of every screenshot, and I'd have El yeah, yeah. Spanish Gunner's Twitter timeline, you know, <laughs> uh, in my post match press conference. So I get it, Clive. You have you have a theory about Wenger's post match comments?
2: Yeah, a couple of theories, really. I think um, on the referee side, if you look at the management. Basically, he's been there 21 years. He's got a track record with the referees, the referees' the assessors. He's got a lot of track record of shouting at them, <laughs> swaying at them. More than anybody else, all the other top six managers are, are new. They're loved. They're fresh. There's lots of rotation management. So they haven't got a track record that Finger has. I think it stands against him on occasion. <laughs> And on the interview afterwards, I think um, Henri was quite critical of the Jeff Shrees interview, where Shrees tried to goad Wenger into a response, for UK viewers anyway. Um, he was trying to goad him on the referee a bit, and Wenger tried not to get hooked into it. He, he got hooked into it. Henri then slaughtered him for not talking about the game. It's quite interesting, in the post-match press conference, he then spoke about to people why don't you talk about the game and that to me felt like a, a mark and a little tap on the shoulder say look don't talk about referees try to get them to talk about the football and that's what it looked like to me just a little theory but um i don't know anything i'm just an arsehole nerdy watcher. no like i, of I mean that that listening. could
1: that could be i just feel that presuming that anybody even remotely tells wagner anything about how he should handle himself feels you know a little bit like a long shot at this point but y- you may well be <laughs> right um Paul uh, a a final thought I mean Tim said he didn't feel this was must win but must not lose Uh, um, uh, Scott's uh, model there you go there's the English I'm I'm following in Clive's footsteps here with my uh, articulation Uh, his model has us at just about 20% for top four now how important was it to find a way to get the three points there are you are you a little concerned the top four is gone for us
3: Uh,
4: Well, I'm definitely concerned the top four has gone for us, but I think it's mainly because looking at this team, we, you you know, the stats, do the stats lead or do they lag? I look at this team and I say, we don't look like a team that's in the top four. Forget the table position, forget our points. You know, if we play well enough, we're going to get in the top four. If we stop fucking around in the back, we'll get in the top four.
1: The problem is you give yourself a big enough mountain to climb that teams that are better than you have to do worse than you, you know?
4: <laughs> yeah. For, for uh, No, I while. agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree that. But but if you only look just about as good as the other guys and they're ahead of you, then it is what it is. We, we've actually got to look like a team who could come second or third for a long period but we can do that. We can string 10, 12, 14 games together where we get really good results and we play at a higher level. We're just not doing it. We haven't done it all season. Yeah. There's a reason we're sixth beyond, beyond our points and our stats. There's a reason we're sixth. We look like a team who should be sixth. Yeah. We've got to get our shit together. The table so. doesn't
1: lie. I heard people say once. I, uh, Tim, yeah. just, just a, a final it lies question. lies a little bit. Yeah, it lies a little bit. Final question for you. Um... Cool. We seem to be playing the game of the season every week or two. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my question to you is, look, I actually thought, and this is sort of meant as an indictment and a compliment, that we played about as well as we can play against Chelsea. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah. We did some absolutely brilliant job attacking. We had some absolutely comical defending. For you, if we're going to be this sort of mediocre... Edge of the top four race team, is this kind of the best version of Arsenal we can be? Not the Mm. sterile domination and losing one nil, you know, with a whimper, but come, you know, car crash comedy defending combined with some really scintillating attacking. I mean, for a team that is not going to challenge for the title anytime soon, will you just kind of take it that we're playing this way, so to speak?
3: Yeah, a little bit. a friend of mine sent a tweet last night saying pretty much exactly that. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like um, the team that played against City, United, Liverpool at home, Tottenham and Chelsea. He said that that was a riot to support. We didn't win every game. Um, in fact, you know, we got some bad results in there. But he said I had really good fun uh, watching us in those games. And he said it's it's the boring, sterile Um, team at West Brom um, and Southampton and places like that that that's really really boring and difficult to support and I think it's quite clear at the moment that we just we just really struggle to against teams that defend against this deep Um, and then they don't challenge us uh, defensively so they don't really expose our defensive frailties so um, yeah yeah maybe I'd, I'd like us to be a bit more fun a bit more often but if you were looking at game of the season at the moment, you know top five games of the season, I think Arsenal would be in three of them again for the neutral.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, look, you know, and I don't want to speak for you know anyone else like blog, for example. I just sort of interpreting his tweets and and his writing and stuff. I think it really does his head in watching us defend, you know, and really annoys yeah. him. And He's while a defender, I, it, yeah, yeah, that's right. Look, it, it is annoying. I just kind of expect it. And so I guess as long as we play some swashbuckling attacking football, I can almost shake my head and laugh at some of the defending we do because I just kind of expect it from us. But I enjoy seeing us play some, some exciting attacking football, at least. I mean, the Liverpool game, people want to analogize that, but I think that's different because for 45 minutes against Liverpool, we were as bad as we've been in years. That's not acceptable. I don't think we were bad at any point in this game except for some bad defending uh, if that makes sense if you guys follow what I'm saying there mm. so yeah, yeah. Um, as we have been wrapping up this recording Sun just scored from about 30 yards out to equalize for Spurs so we will see what happens there but with any luck West Ham can hold on for a point um, but obviously Spurs are going to get seven penalties awarded to them uh, in the final seven minutes here so in any event we'll see what happens ah! it is um, oh sorry just yeah. missed yeah. yeah okay uh <laughs> Look, it has been a pleasure discussing the game with you. There were probably a lot of things we could have come to, but you know we're not going to push past the hour and a half mark. He says as we have pushed past the hour and a half mark. In any event, Tim's on Twitter at Silberto, Thanks, Tim.
3: My pleasure as always.
1: Uh, yes, and uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, Paul's on Twitter at in My Pants. Thanks, pause thanks to Scott once again for coming back on and, and uh, rejoining the podcast. We'll come back with some kind of pod after the Forest game. Uh, who knows, maybe a little breather from the Premier League will be a nice change. And it'll be interesting to see which players get in. I mean, you've got guys like Chambers and Holding and Maitland-Niles now who you know are kind of needed in the first team. So it could be a very, very young side for Forest, which could, be, could make it kind of fun. We'll see. In any event, uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Please give us a five-star review and write nasty things about any or all of us in the uh, comments underneath that review. Um, but until next time, uh, enjoy the football. Uh, hope you're doing well, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. forest no.